Max Verstappen's world champion. Yeah. It's it's so anticlimactic the way Johnny Herbert presented it today, the way it happened all everything just feels a little bit absurd today. It's just a weird weekend all around. But weird does not mean less fun because my word, we have so many things to dissect from this Japanese GP from dangerous tractors on a track to a small little duckling diving under the water and disappearing to Japanese fans having Lego hats and Charles Leclerc getting a penalty which Ferrari accepted for a change. There's just so much wacky and weird stuff from this Japanese GP that we should talk about, including, uh, not, not least, I mean, one of the most important things this weekend also happened that was Nicholas Latifi scoring points. That is also one of the other things that we're going to dissect as a part of this Japanese GP review episode on the Inside Line of One podcast. But let's actually get rid of all the anticlimax that Johnny Herbert started out earlier on today. And let's get on with the excitement because, folks, this is the Inside Line F1 podcast. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. And joining me as always are firstly F1 Stats Guru, uh, the, the legendary, I want to say legendary, but on his way to become legendary F1 statistician all over social media. And then we've got Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team who's also an FIA-accredited journalist at the VIA Play Network in Norway. Now, firstly, Sundaram, I am confused. Where did that little duckling on the broadcast go? Uh, we, we saw it dive down. It never came back. We, we just didn't get a climax to that story. We got a climax for Max winning the World Championship. We knew it was coming, but that has been left a little bit unanswered. I think that went a little unnoticed by me. I, 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 I probably didn't see that. But you've got me even more confused, I have to admit. You've got me off, off guard here. Did Verstappen win the championship today? Because I thought it was going to Austin. Did, did something happen post-race? Yeah. Because, Were they apparently not supposed to award points for full races? No, no, no because no. I, I switched off the television after Verstappen crossed the finish line and the classification looked very obvious to me. So... You're telling me he did win the championship today. Yeah, yeah. apparently he did. He just got uh, handed to it by, by Johnny Herbert, who said, Max, you're world champion. Yeah, No big deal. Yeah, I, can, I can tell you guys what happened. I can clear all the confusion because there's a lot of confusion. Fiasco is what happened one more time for Max Verstappen's title win. It was so unfortunate the way the whole thing was handled. And... Uh, you know, it's it's not a surprise that there is a section of fans who believe that F1 is fixed or F1 is favoring one team or one driver over the other and whatever else. Not that I subscribe to any of that. But when acts like these repeat, uh, you know, and when I say acts like these, I'll explain myself. Uh, you know, when acts like these repeat, one is compelled to probably question like what on earth is happening with formula one why is there so much fiasco over a rule book which all the teams have agreed all the teams have voted upon and you know just the way we will remember abu dhabi 2021 for eternity i have a feeling the 2022 japanese grand prix will also be remembered for eternity and it's down to one simple thing and i think that's what i'm going to call race control right and race control keeps sending us all these messages and when i say all these yes we get to know who's got a blue flag or a yellow flag in which sector is it a vsc or whatever there are times you also get to hear uh slippery conditions on track i mean something as obvious but you know you still race controls belief is that hey we need to inform uh teams drivers and hence the viewers as well right sometimes they say pink 
padding material mandatory for drivers. I mean, I'm serious. These are the race control messages. Why couldn't race control say it all along, right, that after the race resumes, irrespective of whether it's one lap, two laps, 25 laps, or whatever laps, we will award full points? Because it seems that they knew all along just that none of us knew all along and just that they should have just communicated it, saying irrespective of the result, there's going to be a world champion crown should there be the, you know, eight points being outscored. And imagine had they said that, we would have crowned Max Verstappen's final lap. We would have cheered. Uh, you know, the, the Perez versus Leclerc battle would have had just another dimension to it altogether. I mean, you know, uh, Checo Perez has now helped Max win two titles last year with Lewis in Turkey and then Abu Dhabi. This year, he pushed Leclerc into a mistake and and whatever. But just so many things would have been more hyped up which weren't because there were probably five or seven or 11 people sitting somewhere. And I don't know why I just picked odd numbers, but there was some number of people sitting who knew exactly what they were doing, just that none of us were informed. Where is the race? Where is the control syndrome? <laughs> you know, that that's a very interesting point that Kunal mentioned, that little moment where we, we were able to, where we would have been able to celebrate Max Verstappen's win. And I think that's a very important part of sport in, in general. We've seen Roger Federer, the way he celebrates after he wins the, uh, the Wimbledon or the way MS Dhoni and, and Yuvraj Singh celebrated after they after MS Dhoni smashed that uh, ball for a six in the stands. And that small little moment is something that I think we were, we were robbed of yet again when it comes to Max Verstappen winning a championship. And last year and this year as well, we've had the, the season ending in a way where there's a lot of controversy, there's a lot of confusion. And, and the funny thing is, when Johnny Herbert, he anon- announced Max Verstappen as the world champion in a very, I would say, emotionless way or something that lacked emotion or excitement. He, at that point, did not know what to say. He was absolutely shocked. He, he did go on and celebrate with the rest of the team. But what transpired after that in the cool-down room was even more funny because he was telling Perez, I'm not the world champion. He was actually questioning, am I, am I the world champion? Did it happen? And then they had to you know, tell him again that, yes, you are the world champion. You've won it. He looked visibly very, very confused. And it's, it's kind of sad that it's, it's come up to this. Hey, folks, I've got a small message for you that I'd love to share out. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inside Line F1 podcast so consistently. And in case you're liking what you're listening to, don't forget to leave a good rating or a review on whatever app or platform that you're listening to us on. And we would love to interact with you on our social media handle. So don't forget to follow us over there as well. We're so grateful to have you on listening to us in every single episode. And in case you've got any questions on the world of Formula One, send them in on our social media handles as well. We would love to answer them on the show. Now, back to the episode. And just to add to what you're saying, and this is, of course, pent up emotions, expectations, uh, notes as well. Lots of notes uh, all pointed and directed towards the FIA, at least in my notebook, is as soon as Max was announced world champion by Johnny Herbert in his, I'm sure, I mean, nothing against Herbert, but he was confused as well, saying, oh, wow, oh, I got to claim he's world champion. Wow, that's, uh, let me claim it. We, uh, uh, when I say we, I mean via play in Norway, we had Christian Horner exactly at that second being interviewed by one of our Dutch reporters. And Christian was like, congratulations, Max has just been made world champion. What do you feel? He's like, no, I think there's a calculation error. We are not world champion just yet. And every single person thought 
that there was one more point he needed to score and that the title battle would go down to America, which would have been another great thing for Liberty Media, Formula One, for the American fans, for all the passion they bring to Formula One, etc. But the, the the way in which it's happened, the way in which it happened at Abu Dhabi, the way in which it happened uh, at Japan, let me add another twist to it, okay? We are in a season where Max is would have, could have won last race. He could win the next race. And there is no way Leclerc is going to take it or even Checo Perez is going to take it. But let's put that in the mix. What if this was the last race of the season? What if Leclerc was in the mix to win? And, you know, Leclerc had to finish either second or third and whatever uh, sort of happened. And this would have been another title deciding final race of the season. And the FI messed it up the way they did. Two back-to-back seasons of questionable decision-making in title-settling races. And, you know, we questioned, Max, do you have the nerves to handle the title, you know, going down to the last lap and the last, uh, you know, race and the last corner of the season? The question is, does the FIA have the nerves to handle a race where a title is going to be decided? And, you know, it's just so many questions and so many things where there there were errors. First, and I'm, I'm going to sort of move on from from there uh right the first question is there is this whole uh thing that there is a countdown clock that comes up which doesn't tell you hey how many laps of the race have been completed right maybe they need to figure with all the graphics they do with aws or not to tell us actually how many laps were done because eventually the end of lap 27 is 50% of the race was done, right? And that's where you enter the category where 50% of the race is done, but not 75%. So hence, 75% of the points would be given, right? And it so happens that the wording has a loophole, which the FIA used despite the teams and the FIA inadvertently admitting that they didn't know the loophole existed. And that loophole was that if there is a race that starts and is suspended and is resumed, that whole, you know, 25%, 50%, 75% rule book is out of the window because it could have been that we would have done those three laps behind the, say, uh, 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 three laps uh, in the Japanese Grand Prix, then had the stoppage and done another one or two or three laps, the FI would have called the race on safety grounds and still full points could have been given. So it was a rule to protect us from what happened in the Belgian Grand Prix last year. Only that, it makes F1 look sillier despite the Belgian Grand Prix and hence the rules that have been in place. And I realized I've hogged 90% of our 10 minutes of airtime already. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, t- I mean to add to that, I, I have two points to mention to this. The first one is that I think the FIA was absolutely clear about how the point system was implemented because what I could see on the feed was only the cl- was the countdown timer. The laps were never mentioned or never displayed. And it was only Crofty who was time and t- time again mentioning how many laps were done. And for us, we seemed confused because that was important information for us because either uh, 50 points were going to be, 50% of points were going to be awarded or, or 75% of points were going to be awarded. So firstly, the number of laps was not displayed. And, and secondly, like you mentioned, the wording of it. So, so I think it rides on the fact that if a driver sees the checkered flag or not, because this is how the sequence of events were. So the red flag happened and we finished 28 laps and they were able to see the checkered flag. So, so due to that, full points are awarded. But if you swap that around a little, what if we had 28 laps first and then a red flag stoppage and the race never resumes and you don't see the checkered flag? So then you get reduced points. 
I, I really don't understand how how the points are being applied in this way. And I think ultimately it should be in a case where how much of the race distance is is completed. Yeah, that's right. And imagine this: you would have actually gotten only fifty percent of the points for the situation that you just described, Sundaram. Yes. Right. Yes. So it's 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 strange. I mean, Binotto, Andrea Seidel, Christian Horner, and pretty much every team principal actually said, "Hey, we really don't know what uh, what happened." This is not how the points should have been given away the way they were literally given away, right? So that's just where we are. And to to also expand a little more, some more questions around the FIA. Should the race have been started when it was? And should the FIA have said uh, it's compulsory to put the, the, the extreme wet tires, right? At that, at the first start, it was said there's a free choice of tires and all the teams, of course, will go for the inters, which is always known to be the better tire because Lewis Hamilton believes that had they gone on the extremes uh, in the very first instance, they could have probably not seen the delay that they saw there. So that was one thing. The other thing was this whole belief that there was one racing lap less because there were five seconds left, uh, apparently, when Max Verstappen crossed uh, the start-finish line on his penultimate lap or whatever. So that's what happened. And why did we miss seeing that? Because, like you said, nobody was literally, uh, you know, focused on Max's run at the front, which was extremely dominant. He pulled a second a lap on Charles, almost uh, a second a lap on Charles, right? So that that was one. There was one racing lap less, and then TV direction. Another big challenge that which is not in the FIA's purview, but is in FOM or Liberty Media's purview. You know, there was a Fettel Alonso battle all along, which was actually more wheel to wheel than Leclerc uh, and uh, and Perez. And uh, because they were focusing on Leclerc and Perez, they actually almost didn't show us Max crossing the checkered flag. And when they did, you could barely see the checkered flag. It could have been just another lap that Max was, you know, crossing the line for. And imagine this and i was on the radio feed like i am for every race the aston martins uh uh you know the alfa romeo guys alpines all of them were asking the drivers or the teams was that the checkered flag is it ended i mean to to repeat one of the funniest radio messages i heard was esteban ocon he says is that the checkered flag and alpine said yes that's the checkered checkered flag he says can you please tell Lewis he's he's keeping on pushing? And then Alpine said, okay, please, you keep pushing as well. So they didn't know what was the checker, whether that was the flag or not. Similarly with, you know, Fettel, even though he finished just a hundredth up on, on Alonso and similarly with Stroll and just so, so much confusion for what we call is a motor race. Just absolute confusion throughout the race. This is just very bizarre. I don't get it. I, I really don't. Where... Where where can all the things go wrong? I think this weekend we saw a terrible way to crown a champion. Not in terms of the way itself, but just the way it was presented. A shoddy, shoddy little throne as well in a tiny little room reserved for world champions. I didn't even get that. I mean, it said reserved for world champion, but the Jensen button was right there. So could he actually enter because he's a world champion too? It didn't even say 2022 world champion. So that's another thing they messed up. But on a more serious note, the presentation was bad. Uh, and and they absolutely missed that Vettel versus Alonso battle, as you guys mentioned, which is, I, I, I can't use the word criminal because, I mean, lots of experts and journalists throw it away like, oh, it's criminal to do that, but it's really not. But uh, it's it's almost criminal, if you can put it that way. It, it feels terrible that 
the element that really makes up Formula 1, that is wheel-to-wheel racing on the final lap between two world champions who've done it time and time again. And, I mean, can you believe it? Vettel and Alonso have been on the grid together since 2007. They've only really had four of these battles, including this one. Singapore 2010, we've had Monza 2011, UK 2014, and now this one. And they missed it. Only four battles between these two world champions, and they missed it. The only place where you would get to watch it, if, of course, you don't use Twitter, is maybe if you subscribe to F1 DV Pro, which also is not available in most countries. So that's just ridiculous that this happened as well. And 16 minutes into this episode, I have to talk about the big elephant in the room or the big tractor in the room because that was perhaps an even bigger thing that they end up messing up. Uh, now, I, I say it with a tone of humor in mind, but this should not be funny because Pierre Gasly was speeding past. If you've seen Lewis Hamilton's onboard, he was running through that area. And if you look at the onboards in a more detailed manner, Kunal, we had the tractor on when the red flag wasn't called. It was still green. That is, uh, as, as Jules Bianchi's father posted on Instagram, that is an utter disrespect of all the incidents that have gone past. And there's no respect for the safety of the drivers, no regard. Now, I'm sure it's not the tractor driver's fault because they might have just been given a command. But who gave that command at the end of the day? And how is it allowed to happen, even though we've seen a, a, an eerily similar incident back in the past as well? At Suzuka, under the same conditions, with another French or Monegasque driver, I can't remember his I think he was French, Jules Bianchi. But um, I'll put it this way, that first things first, I understand why Pierre Gasly has been given a penalty, and I'll come to that later. But first things first, and something we've seen every driver tweet, that there should never be a tractor on the circuit ever again when there are cars. Whether they are at racing speeds or at safety car speeds or anything, there should not be a tractor on the circuit, okay? Uh, and I think that's what the drivers will uh, will keep emphasizing when they, they meet next and they have the driver's briefing and, and so on, right? Uh, but coming to Pierre Gasly, right? So what has happened, and this is my view of the onboard, maybe I'm wrong, but after he pitted and he went out, the safety car lights were flashing, right? On on the I mean you see on the circuit messaging board system, uh, and which means that you are allowed to drive at a pace that you're comfortable at to catch up with the rest of the pack that is ahead of you. So at that time, Pierre Gasly was right in doing what he was doing. I think it was after turn 10 or turn 11 when the safety car lights actually switched to being a red flag, right? Right, And that is where I believe Gasly probably didn't see it or just out of, you know, just some brain fade or vision fade or visibility. And I'm I'm not blaming him, but he was actually very quick. Uh, And you can see just before he crosses a tractor that there are red lights out there. So, yes, it is the FIA's mistake to send out the tractor there uh, when there was a car on track. Uh, Not denying that, but I believe at least in hindsight, maybe Gasly would sit down and see, wow, there was a red flag and I hadn't controlled or checked my speed when I should have actually done that. So that's my reading of the whole scenario. But before anything else, never ever a tractor on the track should appear, 
especially when there are cars and that to going reverse direction and you know so many things that was one thing of course the other thing which happened at racing speeds what Carlos signs when he spun literally every car was darting you know half a meter away from him while he's you know while he was uh, laying uh, you know sitting in his car his car was of course broken and you know resting on track reminded me of south korea when mark weber actually went out came back onto the grid and then had a couple of other cars hit him so these are natural incidents in motorsport especially when such conditions happen but yes never again a tractor on track i really hope so and perhaps even antoine hubert's accident as well when you have a car bounce back and come back straight on the track that that's also too scary to watch it's just a calamity this way the way this race proceeded in all all possible angles because firstly okay it's great that we got a race in but there were so many things that went wrong and also on the safety element there's that but also on the subject of why we couldn't go racing early on uh, because we saw the cars go ahead yes because of the competition they're kind of hard pressed to start on the intermediate sundaram and not on the wets because obviously they're a bit slower and what not but the the r and 20 minute delay kind of seemed unnecessary at least on tv they, they might have made a better judgment knowing the conditions on the track but why are the wets even traveling with the formula 1 paddock in the first place i mean if you don't have to use them why bother carrying them along because it's just a logistical nightmare if you've made it certain that while it's raining we will not go racing why bother because not much changed weather wise when we restarted again with 40 minutes left to go yet yeah, it seems like a very conservative approach probably the race directors or the, or the stewards are taking when it comes to this situation because you do have wet tires and the drivers are quite keen on on getting back uh with with racing and i think lewis hamilton did have the time to post it on social media that hey let's let's just start and let's see how it goes from from there so perhaps once again they should have started earlier they should have at least given it a try uh, a couple of laps with the wet tires on and then see based on driver's feedback and and i think that's why you should be taking the driver's word with a little bit i should should be listening a little bit more to what the drivers say because they are the ones who are racing each other and they are the ones who can give a good feedback when it comes to visibility on the subject of johnny herbert i think he mentioned it very well on the sky broadcast that back in the day we didn't have the same level of technology the same quality of visors the same drainage systems the same technology available with the marshals and yet the drivers and the teams went racing oh and also not as uh, not the same quality of cars as well in terms of the safety equipment or tracks that were as equipped to save the drivers or manage the impacts as we have right now yet we are so conservative kunal is i i don't understand it a little bit is it just an effort to try and minimize crashes or minimize any sorts of damage but if that is the case that kind of defeats the whole purpose because i'm not saying formula 1 should be dashing cars but that's racing right it's a, it's a game of skill at the end of the day the most skillful drivers will kind of go on track and at, at the start as well it's not like 12 cars crashed out only two did Uh, well let's let's put a couple of things in perspective for singapore i definitely agree there could have been an earlier start if possible the problem with japan was not necessarily the tires or or the or the circuit surface the wet surface in the first place it was the visibility that was the challenge and then the fi realized that even with the two cars that went off recovering those cars with low visibility was a safety hazard which is why we actually didn't have the race but yes the question should be asked Uh, we have wet tires why don't we actually 
use them. And we all know that it's never going to come out in the public because Pirelli pays millions of dollars for this. But the Pirelli wet tires are absolutely not something that drivers and teams want to you know, race on, which is why when at the start a free choice of tires were given, every team chose the intermediate tire, right? Uh, and uh, talking of Pirelli, yes, there were 30 minutes of extra free practice to uh, time allotted. But as ironic and as strange and funny as it may sound, F1, which relies so much on advanced technologies and weather forecasts, couldn't really uh, foresee that Pirelli's taken all the dry weather tires they want to test for 2023, only to know that Japan, Suzuka, October, there are more chances of rain than not. So not only are they carrying wet weather tires that didn't get used, they carried the regular set of uh, you know dry weather tires and an extra set of dry weather tires to test none of which actually got used and guess what japan is probably one of the fa- you know one of the most one of the farthest circuits away from pirelli's base in italy so hey net zero carbon whatever 2030 is still you know some years away let's just underwrite uh, the carbon footprint uh, or or overspend on the carbon footprint for this season if we have to but I think that's, for me, at least enough of the FIA. I hope so. Fiasco on lots of grounds. And uh, I, I think uh, I think we should probably focus uh, on on the race. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Do you, you remember we had a race there, even though it was cut short, even though there were only a few things happened. But, you know, a few standout drives for me. Esteban Ocon kept uh, Lewis Hamilton at bay. Uh, we, of course, discussed Alonso and Fettel. I believe Mick Schumacher should have had a good result, but Haas, uh, Haas did a... I, I don't know if I can say Haas did a Ferrari or something, but something happened with Haas's uh, strategy as well. And then Alpine, much as they had pace, and they've now again overtaken uh, McLaren for P4 in the championship, they had uh, an announcement this weekend. So two more seats actually ended up getting filled uh, at 2 a.m. on... Was it? Saturday night or Sunday morning? I can't remember, but something. Yeah, all the time zones, there was actually an announcement that happened. It just feels like the kitchen is about to get burned down. Two French drivers and a French team together. The last time that happened, okay, well, as F1 stats crew Sundaram pointed out on on your social media page, Sundaram, that the last time it happened, it was a really absurd scenario because it was a very brief one. But when you think of the bigger examples, it's almost like putting in uh, garlic and oil and ghee and butter all together and then the next thing you know the kitchen is on fire and, and nobody knows what to do but this just really doesn't work out now it's, it's it's a very interesting way of, of referring to it because what we've seen is that what we've heard at least is that Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly don't really get along as much uh, because they've had some sort of rivalry in in the junior days as well um but it's a very interesting combination and we're having a whole all French lineup, something that's probably not happened in the last 30 years, close to 30 years. It's a very interesting lineup and I'm very curious to see how, how this pans out next year, the whole combination, I would say. And with that, I think we should speak about uh, some other almost French drivers as well. Leclerc for a second. I felt it was almost symbolic, Kunal, that Leclerc at the end got the time penalty for cutting a corner and made his made a mistake on his own. That kind of awarded Max the World Championship because, I mean, if you look at it this way, that's what the 2022 season was all about. Max dominating, almost a second away from the competition. Anyone who was close enough faded away very quickly and kind of hurt themselves on the foot. And that's how they eventually lost it. 
Silly how it all played out, but what's even more silly to me is the fact that Lewis Hamilton just could not get past Esteban Ocon. And that Mercedes just suddenly seems to be like the Mercedes of Jeddah all over again, where there's just barely any straight-line speed. Yes, it must be setup dependent, but how frustrating was that to watch? Because at the end of the day, you watch Formula 1 for overtakes, and the, the cars, of course, are not to blame in this case. They were chasing each other so well, but there's barely any room, barely any chance. And, and that was as frustrating as it was exciting in a way. Yes, it was. I have to, before I discuss Hamilton and tell you what my reading is of that, just one word on Leclerc. He was absolutely under no pressure, especially when it comes to the title and whatever. Now, whether he finishes on more podiums or not doesn't matter. 2022 is gone from his you know, gone from his uh, grasp, right? He's not going to get the title. Despite that, he actually made a mistake. Yes, his tires were short and he complained about them and whatever, but he made a mistake. No pressure. And, you know, you may put it this way. Uh, uh, He was under pressure from Checo Perez and not Max Verstappen in battle. Anyway, so uh, that's the Leclerc part. Talking of Hamilton... Uh, the Mercedes, keeping rain and tire degradation in mind after Friday running, decided to have more wing on their car. And they knew all along that battling the Alpines that are really quick in the straight line speeds uh, would be a massive challenge. And that's actually what happened to be. And Sommel, yes, people watch Formula One to see overtakes, but that's probably your generation. The generation I come from, likes to watch wheel-to-wheel action. I wouldn't have cared who would have overtaken whom, okay, or whom would have overtaken who. My English is out of the window right now. I've been up since three in the morning, okay. But I wouldn't I wouldn't care who actually is ahead on track. All I really wanted was a wheel-to-wheel battle. And that's what we got with a seven-times world champion uh, with Mercedes chasing, uh, you know, a one-time Grand Prix winner who actually was discarded by Mercedes, right? So I loved the whole uh, battle. That's what Formula One should focus on, allowing people to fight rather than giving them a gimmick like a DRS where, imagine this, if it was a dry race, Alonso, sorry, Ocon actually had the pace to be ahead of uh, of uh, Lewis. But just because Lewis would have had DRS, he would have just driven past Ocon. And then we we would have been robbed of an iconic battle that we saw on track. And, you know, Lewis was complaining all the time, give me more power, or they're just so quick on the straights. And we would have had none of that, right? And sticking to Ocon and hence Alpine and now to Alonso, very brave of him to be chasing Fettel, not have the pace. He apparently claims he was asking Alpine for the fresh set of inters a couple of laps before he actually caught them. So, you know, after the race, he went onto the radio to actually yell at the team, saying strategically that was a disaster, right? So he went, he dropped down to 10th place, and he actually found himself almost in 6th place. And he, of course, finished 7th, 0.011 second off Sebastian Vettel. So the Alpines were really quick. Maybe they just didn't end up maximizing their result. And I'm just looking at it this way. Imagine if Alonso would have pitted earlier, and Alonso would have cleared Vettel, we would have had uh, an Alonso-Hamilton in almost equal machinery-given conditions. And we were probably robbed of that as well. But it's outstanding the racing we got this weekend. It's frustrating when you think of it from a fan perspective. and But but on, on the whole, rarely do you ever get to see such an action-packed 40 minutes of racing at the very, very end. And rarely do you ever get to see Nicholas Latifi score points as well, Sundaram. That happened. Now... 
he's no longer the 21st driver in a 20 driver championship so i think we should celebrate that but no <laughs> jokes aside in all honesty i think they lost the way in fp1 but they really found it back in the race that that well timed pit stop on the intermediates really got the game going for them and both him and sebastian vettel were able to execute the race so well because they essentially jumped the gun which I don't think is, is of course it's a slightly lucky part as well given their position because if anyone was in the top ten at this, that point it would have been far too risky for them to do that but given the circumstances I think they really maximize whatever they had in their hand at that point. Yeah, absolutely, and and credit where credits due. Nicholas Latifi, after being in that position of uh, probably scoring points, he did quite well for the remain remainder of the twenty five laps that we got to see after the stoppage. <clears throat> um, and it's like I said, its first move was advantage. After after the race resumed, Vettel and Nicholas Latifi did take the risk of switching to enters, and that's probably something you don't see the front runners doing because they tend to lose out more in terms of position and in terms of points. And obviously, drivers like Vettel or Nicholas Latifi would have been the guinea pigs, Sim- similarly to how we saw George Russell at at Singapore, based on how their pace. The, it goes on. The rest decide if they need to pit or not. And they did brilliantly. They did extremely well. Vettel being in P6 and Nicholas Latifi in P8. I really have to appreciate the fact. I mean, we, we've really taken, uh, uh, we've really cracked a lot of jokes on Latifi. But I really have to appreciate the fact that he really clung on to that position and was able to score two points. And yes, he's not 21st in the standings anymore. He's got the same number of points as Nick de Vries, despite having 18 more attempts or something than Nick de Vries, right? But yeah, I mean, for all the flack that he got for forgetting the layout of Suzuka, it's great that he could manage to score that point. And talking of Sebastian Vettel, can you imagine what a sheer driver's circuit can do to somebody who's been lackluster or lacking motivation uh, for a large part of the season, right? Fettel was so excited about every lap he was driving around Suzuka that he was going on the session, you know, radio, you know, e- expressing the joy he was having. And uh, that's sort of what propelled his performance. I mean, Aston Martin, okay, till Monza, which was uh, a couple of races ago, had scored just tw- 25 points in total. In Singapore and Japan, they have scored 20 points, right? And they are now suddenly chasing, um, uh, you know, Alfa Romeo. I think there's a seven-point gap, if I'm not mistaken. So fantastic to see Fettel do what he's doing. And I really hope that in the future, he makes a one-off race return for any team just to race at Suzuka because that's what he said he would seriously consider if the chance came his way. No, absolutely. And you could see the excitement and the joy he had. I think we really need more circuits like this one. If anything, uh, just this detractor incident kind of dampens the circuit circuit per se. But otherwise, it was so amazing to see the kind of action we got, including a move by Kevin Magnussen on, I think, one of the Williams it was. I think Alex Albon on the first lap on, on the Degners as well. It kind of proves that given the conditions... You can really get to see great racing anywhere. And Suzuka is a great circuit that sometimes comes under criticism that, oh, you can't really close by, uh, get get a uh, move done because at, at some certain instances, it's a bit too tight. But no, not really. It, it's really amazing to watch racing at this circuit. But guys, when we have to look at this entire weekend as a whole, just what would you use to, what word would you use to describe it in general? Because for me, I, I just, 
can't think beyond pandemonium. But sweet pandemonium at the end, considering the quality of the racing. Uh, wh- what about you, Kunal? We'll go to you first and then we'll come to Sundaram. It has to be fiasco for me. I mean, we are going to remember Japan, Suzuka, Max's first and second title in so much negative light that it doesn't do justice to his talent and to the dominance that Red Bull have had this season specifically, despite also being in battle last season. And guess what? Tomorrow, which is the Monday after Japan, is when the cost cap uh, result or compliance certificates are going to come out. And that's going to give fans or at least a massive section of fans another chance to just poke holes and uh, you know, question the credibility of Max's world titles and Red Bull's way of working, which, you know, again, has to be heralded because they have beaten two of the most iconic car manufacturers in the world, two back-to-back seasons over two different eras of regulation. So helmets off to them, but we're not going to remember it for any of the good. It's only the negative stuff that's going to keep on playing up for a long, long time. Yeah, I think my word is is going to be confusing because yet again we are confused over what the race classification is, or even sometimes like 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 how we saw very recently what the starting grid is. And Formula One is already a very difficult sport to understand for all of its technology that 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 goes into it. But since we have a lot of new fans who are just coming into Formula One, ideally it should be a lot more easier for them to consume and understand. And if we constantly have so many differently word i mean way of looking at certain regulations it just adds to more confusion and yeah i think that's how it is how it has been yeah and i think the one note that i would like to end this episode on is the fact that we need to highlight moments uh, as sundaram you mentioned early on when you win a championship when you win a trophy when you win a race it may seem a bit odd to look at it from this perspective but you need to glorify them let the moment breathe in a way and we didn't quite do that in any light. And even that silly throne didn't add anything to it at the end of the day. And now I might sound a little bit too critical. It was just an attempt to make it look cool. But it didn't feel like a World Championship win. And when that's your most important moment of the season, the whole thing that you're working towards for the entire year should feel a little bit, little bit more heavier, a little bit more intense, a little bit more important, let's put it that way. But I think we're going to do a Formula 1. This episode is over. See you. No, it's not really. I've got to say goodbye in a proper way. I can't do a Formula 1. Thank you for listening, folks. Thank you for watching this episode. And I hope you leave a really good recommendation if you enjoyed this particular episode. We'll be back with more rather soon. We've got the USGP coming up. And we've got some really special episodes in store for you. One from Peter Windsor on the Stillborn US F1 team. And one from Bob Varsha. Remember him? The voice of Formula 1 in the USA he's going to be on the show very soon as well thanks for listening folks have a good time and see you rather soon bye bye